after Miriam speaks inappropriately about her younger brother Moshe Rabbeinu, we know that she suffers tsaras, and the entire nation is delayed a week from their travels because they have to wait for her. Rashi says it's because the Abishta wanted to show her kavod, dignity and respect because of how she had treated Moshe Rabbeinu when he was in the Nile. Question is, what is this kavod that Rashi refers to? What does it teach us about tsaras and the way that a person rehabilitates from it? That Miriam was isolated outside of the camp for seven days because she had Saras, and the nation could not travel until Miriam had been brought back in. Sarashi quotes the words that the nation did not travel. Upirishan explains what does it mean? Why didn't they travel? This is a certain honor that the Abishta gave to Miriam because of the time that she waited with her brother Moshe when he was put in a basket into the river. Like the Pasuk says, that his sister stood off at a distance, Rashi says, etc. So what's Rashi addressing over here? The Mephoshim tell us his intention is that there seems to be a, a problem in the Pasuk. The, the Pasuk seems to say the same thing twice. Because it says, Why does the Pasuk have to say that the nation didn't continue their travels until Miriam was reincorporated into the community? The very next Pasuk says, And after Miriam came back, then the nation traveled. So if that's the case, then the Torah is already telling us that they only continued their travels after Miriam was re-included in the community after those seven days. And so therefore the question is, why does the Pasuk effectively tell us the same thing twice? They didn't travel until she was brought back into the camp. And when she was brought back into the camp, then they traveled to address that, Valkachma Tarzrashi Rashi answers, Shekfila Sinyan Bolo Yeno Shasibas Vahomlay Nosa Oiso, Mishum Kaboido Shomirim, because the Torah wants to tell us something else. The reason the nation did not travel is because they had to show honor to Miriam. As we'll see in a moment, Rashi puts this in a different way to how the Mishnah puts it, and we'll have to explore those differences. But before that, Abu Tsarklavin, we have to understand, The Pasik says, The nation did not travel. So what prompts Rashi to now say that the Abishta showed honor to Miriam? It sounds like the people showed her honor because the people didn't move. Especially when you consider that the Mishnah in Soita, which would apparently be Rashi's source, doesn't say that Hashem showed honor to Miriam. But rather it says that the people showed honor and they or the people waited for Miriam. Okay, there's an easy, apparently easy answer to this, and that is, of course, we know that the people didn't choose to travel on their own. It always had to be guided by Hashem. So we could answer simply, Anytime the Jews would travel or camp in the Midbar, it was not their personal choice. But as described in our own parasha, that any time the cloud lifted, that was a sign to the Jewish people to travel. And any time that the cloud would settle, that was a sign that the Jews were meant to camp there. Which makes it obvious then, that even though the Pasuk says the people did not travel until Miriam was brought back into the camp, it's obvious that that is it's because the cloud hadn't lifted and so there was no signal for them to go. 
Umemela Nimtsa Shazeha Kovit Khalakla Mokim Khule, and therefore it actually makes sense what the what Rashi is saying that this is honor that the Ibishta gave to Miriam by not signaling the Jewish people to go, and therefore good. Even though the Pasuk says Viha Omlay Nosa, it's actually a covet from Hashem. The only problem is, that's a great explanation, but Rashi's language doesn't actually seem to be saying that. Rashi seems to be saying something beyond that. The fact that Rashi says that this is dignity and honor that Hashem gave to Miriam, instead of leaving it generic and saying, well, Miriam received this honor of everybody waiting for her, which is already so different from what the Mishnah said, where the Mishnah emphasized that the people waited for Miriam. Obviously the Mishnah also knew and implied that the fact that the Jews didn't travel was because they hadn't yet been signaled by the cloud. It's because the Mishnah wants us to know that even though Obviously, the people couldn't move until they had Hashem signaled to do so. But the Mishnah is saying, and the people themselves wanted to wait for Miriam. That's the expression, right? Yisrael his akvu. B'nei Yisrael afahim rotzel hamtin lo. Rashi. Rashi doesn't indicate that at all. According to Rashi's explanation, hasiba yechido Yisrael, the only reason that the people had to wait a week, is shecholok la'amokim. I know, amida se'onans, because the Eibishter wanted them to wait, and therefore signaled that the cloud wasn't moving. And Rashi doesn't make even an insinuation that the people wanted to show Miriam honor. Now, why would that be? That's really difficult to wrap our heads around. If you consider that the Pasuk only spoke about the people and that the people did not travel and made no comment about Hashem, why would Rashi then explain in a way that seems to be the exact opposite of the Pshat? In other words, Rashi is explaining that the Yidin did not want to wait for Miriam and they just kind of forced their hands by not raising the cloud. And that's the opposite of the Pshat, which is why would Rashi go that route? Before we delve into understanding Rashi, we're going to point out three intriguing things about the, the introduction or the headline that Rashi uses. Or actually in the, the language of Rashi as well. Three things that we've got to analyze. Why, Rashi wants us to know that this was a reward for Miriam because she waited for Moshe. Why do we have to know when and where she waited for Moshe? Why does he tell us that it's when Moshe was put into the basket into the river? Surely it makes no difference to us when Miriam waited for Moshe. The fact is, she waited for Moshe and therefore deserved the community to wait for her. Rashi should have just used similar language to the Mishnah, which is quite open-ended. That Miriam waited a period of time for Moshe. And then it quotes a Pasuk. Question 2. In the Dibur Hamaskal, the headline, Rashi surely is explaining the reward. Well, sorry, not in the Dibur Hamaskal, in the Pasuk that he quotes. Rashi is surely just illustrating to us that the reward for Miriam is due to the fact that she stood there waiting for her brother. Why does he also have to include the word Meirachik, that she stood at a distance? Surely it's good enough just to say she waited for Moshe. That's all we need to know. 
Which brings us to the third question. Gimel of a kachloidai. Rashi doesn't even stop at adding an extra word. But af hoisif Rashi af hoisif goimer. He even includes an etc. That's Ramaz al hemshach akosiv. That means he's alluding to the rest of the pasuk. Why is the rest of the pasuk relevant to our conversation here? That's details about Miriam and Moshe at that time in the desert. We're talking about the reward that Miriam gets for waiting. So in order to understand all of that, let's ask ourselves a different question. Is it really a matter of honor to wait for Miriam? Let's think practically. They're in the desert. What are they going to do? Leave her on her own? Let's understand the nature of this honor that's being extended to Miriam by virtue of the Jews waiting for her. Because a superficial learning of the story will tell us, Let's assume the Jews had not waited for Miriam. Then, Sounds like you're saying, well, that would be undignified. That would be disrespectful to Miriam to leave her in the desert. Really? That's the issue? That is a really surprising issue to raise. Let's assume the entire Jewish community walks off, travels for seven days, during which time Miriam is left alone in the desert. The issue is not lack of respect. The issue is endangering her life. A single person alone in a desert. And don't, don't suggest that, wow, that's actually why Rashi wanted us to know where was it that Miriam waited for Moshe when he was in the river, which means he was also in a dangerous situation. And therefore her reward is aligned with her behavior. In the same way as the fact that Miriam waited looking after her brother was when he was exposed to danger, so they wish to reward her in a similar way to protect her from danger that she should not remain alone in the desert. Okay, well, if, if that is what Rashi wanted to tell us, well, it's quite simple. If Rashi wanted us to believe that this is a matter of Hashem protecting Miriam from danger, he would not have said that this is a matter of Hashem showing her honor. So what is the honor? In order to understand the honor that is extended to Miriam, we have to analyze what they were waiting for or perhaps from a different perspective, what's Miriam doing during this period? And specifically, how's it helping her to rehabilitate from her tzaras? The explanation goes like this. From the fact that the Eibish just said the following words, Number one, she should be isolated for seven days outside of all of the camps. But then he adds, After which she should be brought back into the camp. Move on. That indicates Shirafuas Miriam that Miriam's healing, which is alluded to in Acharte Yosef, her ability to re-enter the community, in order to heal, she would have to be isolated in the appropriate way, which is Shivas Yomi Michutsa Machane, spending seven days outside the camp, which actually means Michutsa Sholosh Machanois, outside all three camps that, that were the formation of the Jews in the desert. What does that actually mean? To, dis- to determine or to describe a camp 
and therefore by extension to determine what is considered outside the camp. This is a language, an expression that relates to the Jews settling and camping in a particular place. Well, that means they are only camping when they're camping, not when they're on the move. As Rashi already explained earlier in our parasha, within the precinct of the Mishkan is called the camp of the Divine Presence. Then the area around that where the Levim camp is called the camp of the Levim. And then the extended layout of the rest of the camp is considered the Israelite camp. Now that can only work when they have camped. Whereas if they're traveling, the Mishkan is all folded up, they're not traveling, they're not traveling in that formation. There's no camp, so a person cannot be considered outside the camp. How does a person rehabilitate from Tzeras? By being outside the camp. If the camp is in transit, there is no camp. That period of time, they are not rehabilitating. Let's assume the Jews did not wait for seven days in a row in order to help Miriam go through her purification. Obviously, they weren't going to leave her alone by herself seven days travel away in the desert. She would have tagged along with them on the way. The fact is, even if she would be separate from the camp and isolated, she would not be halachically outside the camp because there's no camp at that stage to be outside of. Because the entire definition of a camp doesn't exist while in transit. So then, as I then would take much longer than seven days to have seven days of being outside of the camp because it would be, let's say, a day and then a few days of travel, and then you only get your second day of being outside of the camp. And that's, of course, assuming that they, they don't have to be concurrent, which is another debate in Halacha. But one thing's for sure the travel days would not count as part of her isolation days, and it would take very long for her to be purified again. Ah, that's the covet that they extended to her. That the Jews stayed seven days longer than they should have at this particular camp. So that the clock could immediately begin ticking for Miriam towards her rehabilitation within only seven days and not longer. So that's what Rashi wants to tell us. The kavod is a matter of allowing her the quickest reprieve from her tzaraz. And in doing that, Rashi is going to give us an incredible insight in halacha, as Rashi sometimes does, not only into the story of Miriam, but the broader halacha of how a person is purified from tzaraz. On the words where it says that after the seven days, Miriam would be reintroduced back into the camp, Rashi, Rashi says something that's not only relevant to Miriam, but generally to Tsaras. Oimerani, he says, Anytime we use the word asifo, which means to gather in the context of a person who has Tsaras, the reason we use that is, it's because that person is currently outside of the camp. 
And when the person is healed, the person is reintroduced back into the camp. Therefore, that's why we use the word asifa, which is a, an expression that it implies bringing somebody back and re-including them in the community. Which implies What's Rashi telling us? The reason Miriam spends seven days outside of the camp is because she has saras. And anybody who has saras has to be outside of the camp for seven days. Therefore, we can conclude that the halacha, which relates to a metzora, namely, that as long as he still has the blemish of tzoras on him, he is impure. And therefore, two things, he has to sit alone and wear outside of the camp. That's not just like a sidebar. Well, this person is contagious, so let's move them away from society. Because the person is impure, keep them away. Rashi is telling us, no, this is the process of purification. It's not only the time, it is also the isolation, and specifically that the isolation is outside of the camp. That's how the person heals. But if we don't have the opportunity for him to isolate outside of the, the camp, then then he can't get to if he can't get to the point of being pure and reintroduced. In exactly the same way as Miriam, as we've just seen, that Miriam could not re-enter the community until she had her seven days of isolation outside of the camp. By the way, if you're familiar with halachas of how Tzaras works, there's a period where the person is put into an isolation for examination before they are confirmed as having Tzaras. So even in that uh, examination period, they also have to be isolated. There also, where the person is under observation and put into isolation in case they actually have Tzaras, that's also part of how they heal they have to have a certain amount of days in isolation. Where the Torah tells us the Kohen has to isolate this person with his blemish for seven days away from everybody. So based on what we've also now learned, if during those seven days of examination the person doesn't have a full seven days, well, then then he is healing, even though he's not yet qualified as absolutely having Tzaras, he still cannot re-enter the community until those seven days have been fulfilled. Because we've now learned that the seven days of isolation are part of the healing process. They're not only a protection for the rest of society. It's just that when it comes to a person who has Tsaras, this is a person who's confirmed with Tsaras, the Torah says two things. He has to be Badad alone and outside the camp. We could argue, well, which is the key factor over here? Is the main thing that this person should be alone, isolated. So even though he's outside of the camp, we still need more than that. We need him to be alone. Or is the most important thing that he's got to be outside of the camp. And that's going to have a practical difference whether, uh, let's say, somebody was in a situation that they had saras. Let's assume we, we do examine saras after the time of the Churm Beis, uh, Beis Amikdash or 
you'll see an, an even more intriguing example. What happens if a person gets tzaras and is isolated, and then the base of is destroyed, and now there's no longer machane? Minas, it's going to have practical halachic implications. Similar to the implications we said with Miriam, if she did not have her seven days of isolation, she could not re-enter the community because she wouldn't be pure. What if there's a scenario where there can't be a camp to be outside of? But it's still possible for the person to be isolated and quarantined alone. Does that or does that not allow this person an opportunity to become pure again? And that's in a person who is confirmed with Tsaras. The truth is the same question would apply to the person who's been isolated for examination to see if he does really have Tsaras or not. Same problem, because the Mishnah tells us in Megillah that in the same way as a person who's Matura Mukhlat, who's confirmed to us, has to be outside of the camp, the Matura Muskar, who's currently under observation, also has to be outside of the camp. What if there is no camp? Well, then, the time that is isolated during his examination, does that count towards the total of seven days of separation, which could purify him or not? If you go over the first line of thinking, well, the fact is he spent days in isolation away from the community. Great. Let's count that towards the total days that he has to spend in order to purify. But if we say the main thing is he had to be outside the camp, well, then the days he spent now in isolation while being observed by the Kohen count for nothing because there was no camp that he was outside of and you've got to be out of the camp in order to purify. This could have a practical application nowadays. Why is that? Because Adino, strictly speaking, the process of rehabilitating somebody with tzaras, noheges ba'aretz, applies in Israel, over chutzelaretz, as well as outside of Israel. Bifnei habayas, at the time there is a Beis HaMikdash, v'shelloi bifnei habayas, and at a time where there is no Beis HaMikdash. In other words, if a person had tzaras today, they would technically be required to go through the Tahara process. The question is, is the Tahara process available to them? Let's go with the thinking, which would be the prevalent thinking, that the concept of a Jewish camp does not apply today in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. If theoretically we had somebody who we identified with Tzaras today at a time where there's no Beis HaMikdash, do they have any way of becoming pure again? And if they don't, it sounds like they might have to isolate indefinitely. So here are the two sides of the argument. If the main thing we have to achieve to assist the Metzorah to come clean, to be pure again, is that he has to be isolated from society. Great. We can do it today. Put him into a quarantine somewhere away from normal habitat and he'll be okay after seven days. But if the requirement of the Torah is not just that he's isolated, but that the isolation is outside of an area defined as the Jewish camp, well, that can't happen now without a Beis HaMikdash because the Beis HaMikdash is the Machaneh If you don't have the Machaneh you don't have the Machaneh, the broader encampment of the Jewish people. You can't be outside of the camp. If you needed to be outside of the camp to rehabilitate, he doesn't have the option. 
ואפילו אם תמצא לו אומר שבזמן הזה, I will say yeah, but today, מאחר שכל מציאות המכנס אינה קיימת. Seeing as there's no concept of a camp, גם בסכול הזמן תומוסה, which means even at the time the person became impure, there was no camp to be sent out of. So שוב אין צורך בינים מחוץ למכנס משווה בפועל עבור תרוסה. Maybe you'll say, well, the only logical reason to send a person out of the camp to become pure is because there was a camp he was in. So logically, if today there cannot be the possibility of being in a camp, maybe you don't have to get sent out of the camp in order to become Tahar. Fine, we could accept that argument. We could still apply the same question, at least in theory. Imagine the horrible scenario of a person who becomes Tomei with Tzaras while there is a Beis HaMikdash. And then while in his isolation, Yerushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash are destroyed. Is there any way to purify this person after the Churban Abayis, right? Because he was in the Machane, and therefore at that time there was technically the possibility of being sent outside of the Machane. By the time he is ready to go outside the Machane, there's no Machane anymore. Or halfway through his period of being outside the Machane, there's no Machane anymore. Can he be purified? So Rashi gives us that insight. Valpiha Nalbanagela Miriam. Based on how Rashi teaches us that Miriam needed those seven days in order, in order to be able to become pure again. We could extrapolate that to apply to any person with Tzaras. That the key factor based on how Rashi is teaching us is in order for this person to purify, they need to have the positive experience. You know, it's a positive requirement of being away from or outside of the camp. So therefore, if at any stage in the story there is no concept of a camp to be outside of, and so the person cannot observe this requirement to be outside of the camp, Rashi's chiddush and insight into the halacha is that person with Saras cannot rehabilitate as we see here from his explanation about Miriam that in order for her to be pure again she had to be outside of the machane. therefore if a person has Saras and they cannot be put outside the machane, they have no means of being pure again. Okay, once we understand Rashi's opinion that the covet shown to Miriam is that Hashem didn't want to drag out her period of rehabilitation. And once we've got this incredible halachic insight that any Mitzorah has to be outside of the camp in order to become Toher, we can afford to go back and look at the nuances in the language that Rashi used and understand how Rashi chose his wording so carefully to answer two key questions that we might have had. We've already explained that Rashi wants us to know that the great honor to Miriam is for seven days everybody's got to wait in order that the time required for her to heal should not be dragged out or delayed. That will help us to understand why the, Rashi says, unlike the Mishnah, the Mishnah emphasized that the Jews actually wanted to honor her. Rashi wants us to know that the Abishta is extending this honor. Why? Because as we mentioned earlier, Rashi should have chosen language that would have aligned better with the simple pshat of the Pasuk. Something similar to what the Mishnah said. That the whole Jewish nation waited for her for seven days. 
On the other hand, and if Rashi didn't want to say that because he wanted to show, wow, look how amazing this is, the Abishta is the one giving her honor, <coughs> which is obviously a far greater honor. Then Rashi didn't have to use the language similar to the Mishnah. He could have used language similar to other sources, the Sifri and the Mechilta, who rarely exaggerate how much honor was given to Miriam. Rashi seems to be skating somewhere in the middle. He's not talking about how the Jews wanted to show honor to Miriam, and he's not upscaling how much Hashem wanted to show honor to Miriam. Why? Because Rashi's intention over here is not to focus on so who showed the respect to Miriam by waiting for her, the Jews or the Abisha. That's not his point. His point is what Rashi wants us to know is the link between the Kavod that was given to Miriam, and HaMokim, what does that mean? That the place is what counts. So you've got to be outside of the camp, so the place is relevant, so you've got to keep the people in the place, in order that she could be out of the place, in order that she could rehabilitate as quickly as possible. And that's why it says, He wants to emphasize, obviously it's Abishta's decision, but the emphasis being on the fact that Abishta wanted to create the space that would allow her the opportunity to rehabilitate. Ah, if that's the case, that Abishta wanted to do that, how is this Mida connected Mida for her waiting for her brother? Surely, if you think about the psychology of a sister looking after her little brother, it doesn't really sound like it's just a matter of kavod. So you'll ask this question. The whole purpose, if you look in the Gemara Soita, it says that this was a classic example of Mida Kenegad Mida. A person behaves in a particular way, so they're rewarded in a similar way. Miriam waits for Moshe, so the people wait for Miriam. How do we now compare the covet that Abisha shows Miriam over seven days to the fact that Miriam waited for Moshe for a short period of time? Think about what's going through Miriam's mind when she's waiting for Moshe. Her little baby brother is bobbing up and down in a basket in the river. His life is in danger. Her concern surely is with his well-being. Now the Ebesh is showing her great covenant and saying, we're not going to drag out your rehabilitation from Tzaras. How does that match the fact that she was looking after his life? And you could actually take this question to two extremes because let's talk just practically what did Miriam do? She was willing to save his life. It's one of the greatest things a human can ever do is save a life. So yes, they just showed a tremendous uh, gratitude slash covered by holding everybody back for an entire for an entire uh, seven-day period. But that doesn't match saving a life, on the one hand. And on the other hand, psychologically, the fact that Miriam waited to look after her brother is obvious. We're talking about saving a child. Who would not want to do that? It's her family. It's her brother. What's the big Kiddush that she waited? What else was she going to do? Abandon her brother in the, in the river? Now, 
And if you took it, take it from that perspective, surely it's a massive increase in honor to make everybody, the entire Jewish people, wait for her. Together with Mishkan, etc., as the Mechilta, the Sifri say, for a very long time. That's why Rashi had to also include from the Pasuk the word Meirachak, because he wants to move it away from being an issue of Miriam saving her brother's life. Because if it is saving a life, well, you can never find a reward big enough for saving a life. And on the other hand, really it's a bit of an overkill to say reward somebody for caring for their little brother. So Rashi says, If she's standing away at a distance, then she's obviously not looking to save his life. Because if she's far and something happens, she's not going to be able to get there. She's not going to be able to save him. And so therefore you don't actually have room for a question to say, how does the Abishter reward such an incredibly important thing that Miriam did with just simply holding back the people or vice versa? How is it that somebody did something to save a life which is obvious and for that she gets this massive reward? It's because we need to know she waited there not to save his life, but just to observe what was going to happen. But there's still another question. But there's still another question. So if so if my If this is Mida Kenegin Mida, how do they match? What's the connection between honoring Miriam by not dragging out her process of healing from the Tzaras? How does that link to the message or to the content of Miriam waiting to watch that her brother was going to be okay? So fine. The word Meirachek helps us to understand that Miriam's motivation to stand around when her brother was in the river was not to save his life. Fine. But it still doesn't tell us what the common thread is between the theme of Miriam looking after Moshe and the people waiting for Miriam. That's why Rashi puts in a Vagoymer and etc. to say, look further, do some homework and you'll see how it all makes sense. When you understand the rest of the context of the rest of the story of Miriam and what happened next, it will help you appreciate exactly what's going on in terms of what Abishta rewards her with. What happens next? The Pasuk will then describe the benefit to Moshe from the fact that Miriam waited there to see what was going on. What happened next? When Pyrrha's daughter now arrives at the river to immerse herself. And she notices this child crying and she feels compassionate to the child. She tried to calm him and it didn't work. Then Miriam pops out of the reeds and says, well, maybe I can find you a Jewish woman to nurse the baby. And Paris' daughter says, yeah, go ahead, find me somebody. And so the young girl goes, as Rashi tells us, with incredible speed and, and excitement. And she brings Yocheved, Moshe's mother, to feed him. Now what happens if Miriam hadn't been there? 
We'll move on. Even if Miriam wasn't there, it's obvious. Seeing as Pyro's daughter tried various people to try and nurse the baby and he wouldn't suckle from any of them. Eventually, Pyro's daughter would have come to the conclusion on her own accord to find a Jewish mother to try and nurse the baby. It just would have taken a lot longer. So now we see what's the benefit of the fact that Miriam is in the vicinity. Miriam was able to shorten the time that Moshe was crying and angry. That explains why the Mida Keneged Mida reward she gets is that nobody can travel until Miriam has finished her seven days of quarantine. So that the pain of the isolation Miriam had to, had to endure should be over as quickly as possible. As possible. That is because of the time she waited for Moshe, which then caused a reduction of his pain. Her reward is everybody waits to cause a reduction of her discomfort. There's also a beautiful deeper message to this. We started right early in the Sikha to say why the Mishnah says that the Jews waited for Miriam. Why the Mishnah said the Jews chose as if to wait for Miriam, even though we know it's not their choice, they were directed by the cloud. It's because, as we mentioned earlier, the Mishnah wants us to know that the Jews actually cared about Miriam and they wanted to show her that honor and they wanted to wait for her. And as we also mentioned earlier in the Sikha, Rashi must also agree that the Yidden also wanted to wait for Miriam. They also cared about her. But as we mentioned, Rashi doesn't tell that to us. Instead, he emphasizes the fact that the Abishnah wanted to show honor to Miriam. There's a beautiful and deep reason for this. It's all about the perspective on our choices. There is the perspective that we have free choice according to Nigla, and there's the perspective on free choice according to Pnimi Yosatera. Amr Chazal, very famous, the Gemara tells us, everything is controlled by heaven except our choices around fear of heaven. In other words, our choices, our moral choices. So now, if that's the case, if everything is in the hands of heaven, so it's difficult to say that the fact that they waited for Miriam, and thereby gave her covered, but, is just because that's what Abishta wanted. In other words, that it's only because the Abishta controls, pulls the strings, and the people didn't want to do that. No, I call Bide Shamaim, yes. This is something that uh, you know that people also have to make a choice about. And in fact, logic would say that quite the opposite. That why didn't the cloud lift off the oil moed? Because the people had made the right choice and they didn't want to abandon Miriam. Therefore, they didn't give them the signal to go. 
That's what the Mishnah wants to highlight. The Jews waited for Miriam. Good on the Jews. They made the right choice. And that fits the theme of the Mishnah there, which is all about people making choices. Positive choices produce a mida positive result. Negative choices produce a mida negative result. That's the Mishnah's entire theme and approach. Rashi. Rashi has a completely different perspective. Yes, the Jews did want to wait for Miriam. But it's really difficult to imagine that this particular choice, either to travel or stay put, would be so different, different to all the other times the Jews traveled in the Midbar. And this time, whether to move or not, was actually up to the Jews and not up to Hashem. Rashi is not comfortable to say that. Therefore he says, Take it a step deeper. Rashi's interpretation that includes the deep wine beauty of Torah. Rashi is able to capture the depth and the truth of every concept. There's a fascinating reality about our positive choices to do what Abishta wants. They're also stimulated from on high. What does it say? Everything is in the hands of Shemaim, except for Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is greater than that. Comes Rashi to tell us Yerushalayim is not completely in our free choice. Even our free choice stems from a stimulation that arises from a level of godliness that is higher than Yedei Shemaim. Which means that the fact that the Jews were inspired to wait for Miriam is because they were inspired from a very deep level of Elikus. Only Rashi picks that up. Whereas Mishnah, which is Nigla, the, so to speak, more obvious insights into Torah, you cannot easily detect and experience that deeper perspective. That even those things which are so much our moral choices are actually stimulated from on high. Because if you do believe that these things are inspired from on high, you have big questions about, so is there really free choice? But rather, the Mishnah has to say it is that we made a choice, it was the right choice, as a result of the choice, we get the credit for the choice of having waited for Miriam. But Rashi's perspective, which is to say that even our best choices are also inspired from a very deep level of Elikus, that's something Rashi specifically shares with us in the context of Tsaras. Why? Because what is Tsaras? Somebody who's really lost their way. The fact that a person with Tsaras is sent out of all three camps. It's because this is a person who is now engaged with something which is completely antithetical to holiness. That's why the person belongs outside of the camp. Even outside of the ordinary Jewish camp. That tells you that this person has gone so far 
that they are away from even the lowest Jew, the lowest, uh, the, the lowest um, level of Jews. That's why they've got to go outside of the camp. And that's why, what did we explain earlier? That the healing of a Metzorah is dependent on the fact that he sits and spends time isolated outside of the community. Why? Because if there's a situation where the Machne doesn't exist, then it's not so clear to see how far gone this person is. So the only way to rehabilitate him is you have to know this is where you belong and you're not where you belong. If where you belong doesn't exist, we can't actually rehabilitate you. So therefore this principle that Rashi is teaching us, which is a mind-blowing principle, that even our healthy choices and our moral choices and our dedication to fear of heaven is stimulated and inspired from on high, where, in what context does Rashi teach us this? In the context of a Metzorah and specifically in the context of a story where we hasten, we speed up the, the purification of the Metzorah. Why is this in the context of Tzoraz? Because the purification of a Metzorah is something which comes from a very lofty place. As explained elsewhere. That's why the Pasuk says the Metzorah should be brought to the Kohen, which is the Mashma Bal Korchoi. It sounds like almost like he's, he's being brought. Not that he chooses to go to the Kohen. It's being brought. He's being schlepped even against his will. Because when you're dealing with somebody who's at such a spiritually low level and you want them to awaken to tshuva, person who is so far gone that they're outside of the entire Jewish structure, the awakening of tshuva for that person does not come from that person themselves. Because that person is in such a bad spiritual place. That it's nearly impossible for them to self-stimulate to do tshuva. They get schlepped to the koyin. They bestow awakens the person. They bestow bombards them with some kind of inspiration. Because the bestow promises that no Jew gets lost. Which is not only a promise, but it also a means of empowering us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Oizrei, that the Ebeshter helps the person to overcome their negativity and to do tshuva and to connect. And so therefore there's nobody who's lost and everybody finds their way back and the Ebeshter stimulates us to come back. It's almost like the shofar Godel that's supposed to blow before Moshiach comes, which is this awakening of every single Jewish person to reconnect with their source, to reconnect with their Yiddishkeit and that way to manifest Moshiach immediately.